Folks, if you're liking what you're getting from 30MPC, the number one way you can support us is by subscribing to our newsletter. Every week, you only get two emails. On Monday, you get a content roll-up of everything that dropped last week. And on Fridays, I pick one topic and I personally write a deep dive on things like how to cold call, how to run a discovery call, or even how to hire an AE. So if you're liking what you're getting here, take two seconds, go to the show notes. You'll see a button to subscribe to our newsletter, or you can go to 30mpc.com backslash newsletter and do it there. We'll catch you soon. Cheers. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to this episode of 30 Minutes to President's Club. My name is Armand Farouk. I'm here with my co-host, Nick Sigelski. And today, we have the legend, Josh Braun, the man on LinkedIn, the guy who has the crispy value props, and he's the head of his own consulting business. Nick, why should people listen? This is one of the best episodes we've had around objection handling. So if you want to get better at handling objections, you're in for a treat. Three, two, one, handle this episode. Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. If you get an email and the action required on that email is going to take you less than two minutes to do, do it on the spot. It's not worth adding it to your to-do list, having to look at the item, remember what you need to do. That's going to take you more than two minutes anyway. So do it on the spot, get it off your plate. Now we documented our best templates and tips to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang. And you can get that documentation for free at the link in the show notes. Today's tactic to triple your connect rate is brought to you by RocketReach, who provides data that lets you reach out to the right person at the right account at the right time. Every time you're reaching out to an account, pull down the contacts again. Yes, I know it sucks, but the average tech tenure is two years, which means 50% of the workforce turns over every year. So look up the account, pull anyone who was hired, and scratch anyone who was left. And one way you can pull verified and accurate data is with Rocket Reach. So if you like this, check out their toolkit on eight ways to triple your cold call connects in the show notes. Today's deal acceleration cheat code is brought to you by Pipedrive, which is a CRM built by sellers for sellers. The best way to drive your pipeline forward is to every single day, pull up a list of all of your open opportunities and look at each opportunity by stage and think, what can I do today that will increase my likelihood of winning this deal? That's how you keep your ops moving forward in between meetings that you have on the calendar. Now, we documented five cheat codes that can help you cut your sales cycle in half with Pipedrive. There's a link in the show notes to steal them. Today's show is brought to you by Exactly Forecasting, which is a flexible sales forecasting solution that uses AI and data to help you call an accurate sales forecast. Gartner says over half of sales leaders don't have high confidence in their forecast. One way we recommend to improve your forecast is to align as a team on explicit attributes that must be true in order to deem a deal forecastable. That way your forecast will get clearer and the team will know where to focus efforts. We put together a forecasting 101 guide with our friends at Exactly. Get it for free in the show notes. This week's actionable prospecting tactic is from Sixth Sense, who shows you the prospects who are most likely to buy so you can get more meetings with fewer activities. Personalizing cold emails requires you to only change the first paragraph in a trigger template. All you have to do is tie the research to the problem you solve in paragraph one, and then switch that out while you leave paragraphs two and three, your solution and call to action, exactly the same. And so we are giving you six of these trigger templates with our partners at Sixth Sense. The link is in the show notes. All right, Josh, welcome to the show. You know we start every single episode with your top three actionable takeaways. Let's get your three. Actionable takeaway number one is that nobody cares about your product because your product is worthless without problems that prospects can relate to. 
So step number one, if I'm coming in and being an SDR, I got to really understand at a crispy, specific level what the before version of the infomercial is in your prospect's words, not yours. Very nice. What's number two, Josh? Prospecting tip number two is that there is a natural reflux reaction when you pick up the phone and make a cold call to avoid salespeople. So if you're sounding like this, hello, my name is Matt, and I'm calling with Acme, you're going to set off that negative reflex reaction. So you have to do something a little different. And here's my favorite opening line. Hey, hey, Matt, this is Josh. You're, you're probably going to hate me because this is a cold call. Would you like to hang up and fire me right now? Or can I steal a minute? That's called an accusation audit, term coined by Chris Voss of never split the difference fame. And what it does is it labels the negative emotion that the other person is feeling. And when you label negatives, you diffuse negatives. Whether you use something like you're going to hate this call, or I know you weren't expecting this, same idea is to label what they're, the negative feeling they're thinking to diffuse it. Nice. What's the last one, Josh? Round us out. Last one is stop trying to change people's minds. It's a net negative every single time. Not once have I gotten to a objection with someone where I tried to change their mind and where they said, hey, you're right. I changed my mind. Just doesn't happen. So instead of trying to overcome objections, learn how to understand objections. So Josh, can you walk us through, if I get one more accelerate, optimize your lead development process by increasing by 13% email, I'm going to jump out a window, right? And so you talk about this crispy thing. Could you give me an example of how you can make a problem or the before state of the infomercial sound really, really crispy? Yeah. So let's go through a non-example and an example so you can see what it sounds like in an email. So I'll read one out loud to you. Let's pretend you edit podcasts because you're a podcast host, which you guys do. So I have to have a hypothesis of what problem might you be bumping into that you might be not even maybe aware of because you're just getting the job done today the best way you know how. And one of the things that you might do is spend a lot of time editing podcasts. Uh, you got to remove ums and ahs. You got to edit stuff. People like me say something wrong or I curse and you don't want to curse. Myself. It's a lot of work. Got to create show notes. Probably takes a bunch of time. So if you had a service that allowed you to be able to get podcast publishable ready episodes with show notes without you having to do all that work. You just literally upload it in 24 hours, you get it back and it's perfect. It's polished. That's a good hypothesis. That's a good before and after. So once we know that, and we have to know that we can then write an email. So here's what a bad email sounds like. We help you optimize your podcast with our 360 degree platform. We've worked with podcast hosts like A, B, and C. And here's what it sounds like to lead with a problem what podcast host is editing. Stuff like removing ums and ahs, taking out curse words, IQ3 tagging for iTunes. Immediately when you read something like that, the brain automatically goes to, oh my God, that's my world. What's the next sentence say? Because when you articulate problems like that, the brain wants to know, what do you have for me? The only way to get that information is to talk to customers that used your service and understand how they're describing the terrible, no good, very bad things that were going on that caused them to start considering switching and ultimately switching. So could you give us an example of like, now we have a sense of, hey, we've gotten these crispy value props. How are you actually going to weave that into a call script or a cold email? So the first thing I'm going to try to do 
is find something about the prospect that I can use to lead off my email with. That's about them because that's their favorite topic. And the reason this is important and you can't always find it is that when you see an email, you're going to see the name, subject line, and the first 135 characters. Can't do anything about your name. You're a stranger. That's automatically going to be a problem. There's ways around that actually too, which we can talk about. Second thing is your subject line. And the third thing, which is also important that a lot of people don't talk about is that first sentence, first like 130 characters. And everybody's favorite topic is themselves. So if you're reaching out to me and you're this podcast editing service, might sound something like this. Um, Josh, just been inhaling your Inside Selling podcast. One episode that really resonated with me was your interview with Jackie Lipnicki and how she's able to quickly look at LinkedIn profiles to better personalize her cold call scripts within less than 10 seconds. Like that's going to get my attention really fast. And then I'm going to transition. Have no idea if this is something you're bumping into, but a lot of podcast hosts hate editing. Stuff like removing ums and ahs and removing curse words. That's the second sentence. Third sentence is, are you against learning how other podcast hosts are eliminating this completely and getting publishable, polished show notes and podcasts back in less than 24 hours? Either way, keep up the great work on the podcast. I'm loving it. Okay, so that that call to action we got to talk about because that's really different than what I'm seeing a lot of reps send, which is how's Thursday at three for us to speak. What are you doing there? Yeah, so Chris Voss, again, of uh, Never Split the Difference, talks about this. So, so does Jim Camp. And the problem is if you're walking in a mall and you see a mall kiosk person and they say, can I ask you a question? You know that if you say yes, you're about three minutes away from being sold some C-scrub you don't want. It's the same thing in sales. We're sort of yes addicted as salespeople. And as prospects, we feel like we're being led into a yes trap. Like if I say yes to this, what am I agreeing to? So we're weary of yes. No feels safer. So would you be opposed? Would this be a terrible idea? Would it be a ridiculous idea? Would you be against? That phraseology, that language, it's much more disarming because it feels safer psychologically than saying yes, because salespeople are always trying to get prospects to say yes. I love the, it's a horrible idea because it kind of plays into like the, I really like the self-deprecating humor and authenticity where like I might propose something to a customer and be like, look, I've been wrong before about where we're supposed to go with these. Would it be a horrible idea for us to do this next? And so I'm combining the like self-deprecating with the inverse ask that you're doing. We also use that same technique with objections, right? So after someone voices an objection, I'm already using a vendor for that. It's a very common objection on a cold call. There's ways to proactively prevent that. Actually, we could talk about that as well. But someone says, you know, I'm, I'm already using a vendor for that. Your inclination might be to try to change their mind and tell them, well, I'm not asking you to buy anything right now. But using this technique, you could do the same thing. You can say another vendor. It's called mirroring. They go, yeah, we're using X, Y, and Z. And you might then say, it sounds like you're really happy with them. That's called a label. You're labeling what they're probably thinking. And what's interesting when you do that one is people will usually say, yeah, but <laughs> you'll hear some stuff. And then you can say, you know, sounds like you're all set, but would it be a terrible idea to see if there are opportunities, options beyond what you have now for lowering your property taxes and insurance premiums? Not for now, but just so you can see what's out there. And after you've mirrored and labeled 
and phrased it, and you've taken away the pressure of now. What I'm doing is I'm taking away the pressure of now. Because generally speaking, when you reach out, outbound, nobody's in buy mode. They're not actively shopping. And so when you just say, just to start the conversation, just so you can see what your options are, not for now, but use the word for the future, it just diffuses and starts so many more conversations because there's not the pressure expectation. The other thing that you talked about earlier is you're never trying to change minds, right? And so you're going with me. You're basically saying like, yeah, that, that's actually why I reached out is like, we're on the same page. I'm in the exact right place. Are there any other examples of like, when you get objections, like you're not going against the grain, you're actually getting on the customer side? With objections, the first thing to really understand, step number one is to understand that objections are either true or not true. Sometimes a prospect will object and you'll think, oh, that's the real objection. When in fact, it's not. And I'll give you a great example of one that comes up all the time. Prospect says, this sounds great. Can you send me a proposal? And most of the time when salespeople hear that, they're like beaming. Oh my God, dude, I'm going to close this sale. Absolutely, man. I'll send it off right to you. Have, you'll have it in 24 hours. And then guess what happens a lot of times? Nothing. And that's because that really wasn't what they wanted. That really wasn't the, they were just saying that because they don't know a way to get off the phone. They don't know how to be the bearer of bad news. So we'll just role play this on what a better approach can be. And we can apply this to pretty much every objection. But you go ahead and ask me, I'm on, say, say, hey, Josh, sounds great. Can you send me a proposal? All right, Josh, this sounds interesting. Could you send me some information or put an email together for me? What information would be most helpful? Uh, well, you know, just a, a general overview of your services, rates, and what this thing might cost. And then I'll think it over. Think it over? Yeah, I mean, I, you, you literally just, you know, we had one call. I can't make a decision about this today. Sounds like you're not really sure if you want to bring me on. Well, we, this is our first call and you're asking me to make a big commitment. And yeah, I'm not totally comfortable making, making a commitment to you right now, Josh. I guess that's what it is. Would it be a terrible idea if you discuss this internally to see if the investment and what I'm delivering is even something that's a priority for you right now before I flood your inbox with proposal? Yeah. I mean, I think I'm probably going to go back and talk with, um, with Armand, my COO and I mean, we need to even figure out if we need, need what you're offering before I even would look at your thing. So yeah, that's probably the way we should go about it. No, yeah, you've got like people like John Burroughs, Richard Harris, you got Winning by Design. I'm curious, what would prompt you to want to hire a former kindergarten teacher of all things? <laughs> well, truthfully, I mean, those guys are great and we talked with some of them, but I feel like you know, John's really prospecting heavy and Richard does a great job with discovery. And, you know, you, our team's really struggling with objection handling more than anything. And that's where I see you fitting in more than anybody else. So okay, I want to go out of role play for a second and notice what I'm doing here. I'm having you give me my value proposition because you're zeroing in on objection handling. And I could have talked about prospecting or closing or all kinds of things that you're really not interested in. Right. And that's a problem. Right. So by asking that question, and then this is how I'm going to close it. What next step, if any, would you like to take? Well, let me go talk with Armand and then you can call me next week. I'll give you that. Call me a Thursday next week. Would you be against 
putting something on the calendar so we're not chasing ourselves and playing phone tag? That works for me. I can do Thursday. Let's play hardball here and say, no, I'll just get back to you. Now, here's the great thing. Sales is about leadership. All right. I have to be in control of everything. So let me tell you how this plays out sometimes. Let's say they book the meeting and they don't show up for whatever reason. It happens. What I'm going to do is literally send one one sentence email and never follow up again for three months. And the reason for that is this. If there's no motivation or desire, no amount of follow-up emails is going to change your mind. I've been trying to get my wife to clean out her closet for a year. I've been using every sales tactic in the book until I realized there's no motivation or desire. And what you know is if people aren't holding up their commitments, their actions are showing you that there's no motivation or desire, which is okay. Because the idea behind this technique is not to move the sale forward. The technique is get to the truth. And the truth is only one of two things. Either the prospect is motivated to want to continue the conversation with us, or they're not. And I get to control that, not you. Have you given up on helping your reps defuse objections? Now, one of two things is going to happen when you submit. And I, I got to tell you, and I just had this happen today with a very big company. I just sent this out. And I got an email back in, I want to say, less than two minutes of, oh, my God, please don't go away. Hair on fire problems. We're going to get back and let's name some times, right? The psychology behind it is people don't like to feel like quitters. And here's the best part about the technique. Either way, you're good. Because if they don't respond, there's nothing there anyway. Phenomenal. I can spend my time starting more conversations and finding people that are motivated to continue. Or they are, and they respond back. But in no situation am I sending nine emails and worrying about it. It's done. So that philosophy has changed my performance as an individual contributor. I focus on two things now, prospecting like a machine and getting to the truth. Because I'm doing what you're saying here. Prospect like crazy. I've got a great pipeline. And now I feel comfortable. Look, if this isn't something they want to pursue, great, fine. That's fine. And now I'm only working the deals that are the deals people are actually motivated and all that free time that I'm not spending sending eight follow-up emails to Josh because he's ghosting me, I'm spending bringing in new conversations. It's literally changed my performance as a rep. I know I'm going to lose this thought, so I have to ask you. It's going all the way back to this cold email thing of this email that you're sending. And I wish I had a cool, unique, memorable name like Armand, but I don't. It's Nick, and it probably blends in with all these other names. And so I can't do anything about my name short of changing it. But you said there's something we could do to change our name or make this work. So I'm really curious about this because I have a name that blends in sometimes. Let me give you the psychology first, and then we'll go into it because I'm big on psychology. So you understand the why. So you can make the words your own. So I don't know, three weeks ago, my wife and I were in Boulder at a Japanese restaurant. She always orders a glass of wine, always. And she drinks that glass of wine. And very rarely does she order a second glass, hardly ever. But when the waiter comes over, and says, would you like a second glass? She always says, sure. And she gets a second glass, pretty much always. I had this happen to me once at an airport. I was getting a granola bar 
and there was a refrigerator next to the checkout stand next to the register. And the lady working the register said, would you like a bottle of water with that? And I said, hey, I'm just curious, were you kind of coached and trained on to ask that question? She goes, uh, yes, we have to ask it. I'm really sorry if you don't want a water. I'm like, I'll take one. And then what I did is I sat and I observed what the take rate was on that ask. And it was about 35, 40%. The problem is we don't ever ask. Like when we sell products to someone that's been using our products for two or three months, we rarely reach back out on a consistent, I'm going to use that word a lot, consistent basis and say, hey, did you know we also do this? I mean, there's a reason why McDonald's says, would you like fries with that? Because it, it works, <laughs> right? And so how do we apply this to this technique? Well, imagine that you reach out to five customers a week, three customers a week, every week. This, te this technique takes about two minutes. And you say this, I know this is probably a huge imposition. There's that accusation on it again. <laughs> but I'm just wondering if you have any other titles, titles, titles in your network that might be able to benefit from value prop. If you do, I'll give you the copy you can paste into an email so you don't have to do any work. And so do you do anything from a copy standpoint when you're getting a referral to make sure that it sounds like it's coming from them and not from you? Yeah. So what I do is, again, I label it. Hey, Josh told me to paste this in. Like I, that's what's in the copy. <laughs> I love this. Here's the thing, dude. It's just about being real with people. Send me some information. It's this, it's the same kind of thing, where you just say to you know you say to somebody, "Can I ask you a really awkward question right now?" Uh, sure. A lot of times, when people ask me to send them information, it's just a nice way of saying, "Hey, old Jewish guy with a receding hairline, I'm really not interested right now. Would, would you like to fire me right now? It's totally okay. I've been fired like five times this week." I mean, the last thing you probably want in your inbox is more information from me. The Lord knows you got enough emails. And what you typically hear when you ask that is, you know what, you're right, dude, this really isn't a priority. I was really not going to ever read your message. I just didn't know what to say. So what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to create an environment where people feel comfortable that I'm not going to pressure. That's my whole technique. It's just that it's, it's trying to help people like, is to lean back. It's just lean back a little bit. So same idea. So where do you draw the line between I'm going to invite all of the rejections and like, okay, when somebody says it's actually not a priority, turning that back around and trying to actually address why it's not a priority. Like, where do you find that line? You don't. <laughs> you don't assume that even though you have a value proposition, it's valuable to them at that time. For example, I have a TV in my back bedroom. It's missing a pixel. It's a problem. But I rarely watch that TV. And when I do, I don't really notice the pixel all that much. So the problem isn't intense and frequent. And so given my limited resources, which I have, and so do you and so do your prospects, it's not really high up on my list right now. Maybe if a few more pixels go out and my wife turns it into a more of a family room, it changes. But nothing that you say is going to convince me to make that a priority. So if someone says this isn't a priority right now, our inclination is to, what can I say to make it a priority? Or let me ask them about their priorities as if they're going to give that up to you because they know like where you're going with it. <laughs> so I'm saying like, accept sometimes the truth and truths always have oomph, meaning reasons and explanations. So if someone says, dude, this isn't a priority right now. I got like three TVs that are working perfectly. We live in a four bedroom house. 
I never watch that TV. It's just not on our radar right now. What a salesperson is going to try to do is say, how can I make the back bedroom TV a priority? Rather than doing what Nick said earlier, which is brilliant, which is, hmm, this looks like it's not a fit at this time. I'm going to bail out and I'm going to go find someone else that maybe has a TV with more pixels out. (laughs) So Josh, one of the things that I have had to balance is one of the things you talked about earlier is the prospect is getting the job done today. And sometimes when I call somebody and we're in, especially in the beginning of the sales process, you get that reactance of, I don't want to be sold, or they need your help illuminating that there is indeed a problem. And so I'm really curious about the balance because I'm all for pushing them out. Like if you, you're not motivated, don't want to do this, but there are times that you need to illuminate it. And so you do some interesting things with this, I think. Yeah. So several years ago, my wife and I were in a mall and she dragged me in there and I, I didn't need anything. Literally. I just killing some time. We split up and said, Hey, we'll meet here at the, at the fountain in 40 minutes. And I was just walking around. There was a fit to run store and I just walked in there. So if the store associate said, what brings you in today? I would have said nothing. If she said, can I help you? I would say no. If she said, do you have any problems? Typically, people come in here because they have problem, problem, problem. I'd say, I don't have any of those. But this sales associate didn't do any of those things. She looked down at my sneakers and she said, oh, are you a runner? And I said, yes. And she said, what distance? And I said, oh, I'm training for my first marathon. And then she asked a really smart question. She said, have you ever had your running gait checked? And I said, what's that? And moments later, I'm literally, and I have video of this and pictures of this. I'm on a treadmill. And she shows me a freeze frame of the video and shows me that my feet are pronating. And then she asks a question. She said, hey, Josh, are you aware that if you run in sneakers that are not made for pronated feet, you can get injured on long distance runs? And if you'd like, we could take a look at your sneakers to see if they're made for pronated feet. And they weren't. And I spent $180 on sneakers and insoles and God knows what else, because as an old Jewish man, the last thing I want to is get injured on long distance runs, right? All right, Josh. So we talked about our crispy value props. We talked about using all these pseudo Jedi mind tricks and mirroring and labeling to not try to convince people to change their minds. We haven't talked about some of the bad habits. And so if there was one bad habit that every rep had to break today to be better, what would it be? Stop assuming that everybody wants to drop what they're doing for you and start thinking about it a little bit differently. That your purpose is to see if someone's open to how you could potentially help them kick more. And the answer to that is one of two things. Yes, they are open to sharing a bit more and continuing the conversation or no, they're not at this time. And so detach from the outcome. All righty, folks, before we jump off, Josh, do you want to plug anything with the audience? Sure. Joshbraun.com slash badass is a guide of all my favorite sales plays for starting conversations with prospects, but without them feeling sold or manipulated. Joshbraun.com slash badass. Awesome. And if you guys haven't already followed Josh, please make sure you follow him on LinkedIn. He posts some amazing stuff. And everybody hang on for a 60-second recap email coming up soon. Cheers.
This actionable competitive tactic from Clue is the trap question. Steer discovery toward the winning zone. If we're competing with a podcast that has no newsletter or webinar series, we might ask a trap question like, how do you figure out if those podcast listeners are making their way to your mailing list? And when you're in a head-to-head, there's no better way to prepare for your next competitive battle than with our trap questions and battle card templates from our friends at Clue. The link's in the show notes. Here's my secret to being a sales superhuman. It's auto reminders for everything. If I expect any reply from a prospect, I press command H and superhuman pops it right back into my inbox. If I don't get a reply in two days, that means if you handle an objection, if you suggest times for a meeting, or if you ask for cuts back on red lines, always create a two day reminder task and assume they will not reply. So if you want to follow up on time, every time you can get a free month of superhuman by checking it out in the show notes. Otter AI's Otter Pilot for Sales gives you the freedom to sell on your discovery calls by taking notes for you. One of the best ways to deepen your discovery is to ask your prospect about the impetus behind their goals. So when a prospect tells me they want to advertise on more sales podcasts, I'll say, well, it's not every day that you wake up and decide you want to sponsor a podcast. What's causing you to even explore this in the first place? Now, we put together the ultimate discovery checklist with our friends at Otter AI, which you can get for free at the link in the show notes. Your top four takeaways from this episode include, number one, detach from the outcome. Stop trying to convince people to change their minds and just focus on finding the truth. Number two, use an accusation audit very frequently. It sounds something like, would it be ridiculous if blank? Number three, use, have you given up on blank as your one sentence breakup email and stop following up 300 times afterwards. And then number four, when you get an objection, Mirror it, say the last three words of the objection with an uptone, and then label it with, it sounds like blank. Nick, how can people help us out? Well, Josh is going to be a little upset with me, but I can't detach from the outcome of our show ratings on iTunes. We've got five stars, and I'm very insistent upon it staying that way, but I want more reviews. So if you haven't gone and reviewed the show, please go on to iTunes, give us five stars, write a little blurb about how you love the show, and we'll see you all next week on 30 Minutes to President's Club. Today's show is brought to you by Exactly Forecasting, which is a flexible sales forecasting solution that uses AI and data to help you call an accurate sales forecast. Gartner says over half of sales leaders don't have high confidence in their forecast. One way we recommend to improve your forecast is to align as a team on explicit attributes that must be true in order to deem a deal forecastable. That way your forecast will get clearer and the team will know where to focus efforts. We put together a forecasting 101 guide with our friends at Exactly. Get it for free in the show notes. This week's actionable prospecting tactic is from Sixth Sense, who shows you the prospects who are most likely to buy so you can get more meetings with fewer activities. Personalizing cold emails requires you to only change the first paragraph in a trigger template. All you have to do is tie the research to the problem you solve in paragraph one, and then switch that out while you leave paragraphs two and three, your solution and call to action, exactly the same. And so we are giving you six of these trigger templates with our partners at Sixth Sense. The link is in the show notes.